Hey everyone, and welcome to the Actorzilla podcast. I'm your host, James Larson, and today we have on Kevin R. Free. Hello. <laughs> Kevin Hello. is the artistic director of Mile Square Theater, and he's also a multi hyphenate artist, a producer, a director, an actor, a writer, an audiobook narrator. Is, did I leave anything out, or is there more to that? Um, I mean,. He didn't call me a punk. That might be the, at the end. That might that, come. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be added by the end for sure. <laughs> All those hyphens, maybe just underachiever would be. Uh, yeah. Uh, what an underachiever. <laughs> I'm on your. Correct. Yeah. Um, clearly you're not busy enough. You know, you need more, more to do. Um, yeah. I got an email from somebody in um, a few months ago saying, <laughs> asking me what my problem was <laughs> I needed to sit down somewhere I needed to just sit down you need to sit down yeah oh man that's so funny um so I'm kind of curious with all those titles you know I'd love to hear a bit about your journey um I think on your website you said that you started as an actor yeah yeah uh, an actor singer I had always wanted to do a Broadway musical um when I was growing up that was what I I moved to New York to be a musical comedy star. That was like what I thought was the thing. Um, and when that, when uh, I didn't book a Broadway show, and I guess I'm not, I'm not ruling out it, ruling it out as a possibility now. But it's also something that I'm less interested in, um, uh, um, as far as the grind is concerned of eight shows a week, <clears throat> my 55, almost 55-year-old body. Um, but I always wanted to do a Broadway musical, and when that didn't seem to be happening, I just started saying yes to all the other jobs that people would offer me. I think um, looking back on, on all of the work that I did that has brought me to here what I think people were seeing in me when they were offering me other kinds of work um, was that I'm a leader. And that is, um, I think that is the superpower, is that I um, am good at setting people at ease when the sky feels like it's falling and um, making decisions um, about, about, you know, the emergencies, the emergency decisions that come from producing theater and whatnot, <laughs> that that don't feel like actual emergencies because nobody's you know going to the hospital, um, but I'm good at making those decisions, and then I'm also good at making decisions that put humanity first, that put people first, um, which of course is where we are in history, <laughs> I think, in the theater game, um, which is great. Uh, so I think that, you know, people just, so people offered me things. Hey, do you want to do a reading? Do you want to direct a reading? Do you want to teach these young people? Um, and then from doing that, the big people thought, oh, he knows what he's doing. So let's give him leadership positions. So then I became an education director. Um, and then um, really started directing things, but not really saying that I was a director. And it was around 2017 when I said out loud that I was a director, <laughs> that my directing career 
took off in the way that I wished that my acting career had taken off all those years ago. Um, and I think that that is because the universe knew that I was meant to be a leader. And so when I said I wanted to be a director, then all of a sudden all this work came to me. And here I am, 55, actually pursuing a career as a director. <laughs> That's amazing. So you think director is like your main, is that like, I know you're multi, multi-hyphenate, but yeah, is I director think... leading the charge for you right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love audiobooks. I, the, the audiobooks, I, I get to scratch the acting itch and I get to play all the characters. So that right. part is, <laughs> that part appeals to both my ego and um, just like the, the actor itch. So um, I think it's directing and audiobooks are my, are the, the things that are leading the charge, to, to use your parlance. Um, I, yeah, I love being a director in a way that I never loved being an actor. Um, what about it? Yeah, what about it? Well, first, as a director, I'm not afraid of collaboration. I'm not afraid of listening to other people's ideas. I'm not afraid of being voted down. I'm not afraid of disagreement. I'm not afraid, you know, when, when people say, oh, you know what? Mm, I think this, this is a better idea for this moment. You know, I, I, I don't have any ego about any of that. And that feels really nice. Um, I don't... As an actor, and you know this as an actor, um, there's so much insecurity. <laughs> you know, I, I did a wrong thing in rehearsal and I said the wrong thing in rehearsal so they'll never hire me again. And then right. you're not in the moment anymore and then that, that ruins all of your work. And then you get to tech rehearsal and you forget the tech rehearsal isn't about you. It's about the director and the director's creative team making decisions to make you look good. But you still, as an actor, feel very like, why are they paying attention to me? Did I do something wrong? Is it terrible? I mean, this is all just, you know, it's par for the course for actors. And I, I love actors. And I, as a director, remind them all the time, I know that you are creating complex emotion all the time. I know it. And I understand it. And I know that when I give you an adjustment, it feels personal because your body doesn't know the difference between something that you've made up and and what is what is um, true to you even, even though it's even if it's real I understand I totally understand that um, and I as an actor know it and hate it <laughs> I hate it right I hate I just hate the the insecurity that comes from being an actor and that's that's separate from auditions that I mean I loved auditioning that, that auditions are fun for me you did and, really oh my gosh yeah I get to do a whole show for somebody in a room like that <laughs> that part is really great I'm so good at looking at a script and they, they give me a thing to, I'm great at making choices and just like going for it like I, I right. love that I loved that what I and I also as an actor never had any doubt that I would have a career I was never that I mean I think that's divine I think god the universe gave me that like i just never was like oh yes i've been waiting tables for six six months but i'm gonna have a job it's gonna be right around the corner i never had any doubt that i would work but when i started working it was did i make the right choice in that scene i don't know i think my voice sounded funny in that moment oh my accent is inconsistent oh, i'm the worst it was so easy to 
to put myself down as an actor and it was really unfair to myself. But as a director, I have ideas. I express those ideas. I try to see if they'll work. And sometimes they do. <laughs> and I like looking at other act like looking at other humans and saying, so here's what I think this moment is about. How can we make that happen? Right. I like telling a playwright of a new play, here's the feeling that I got when I read the play. Here's and and, and here's what I saw when I read it. Here's let's try to visualize what the scenic design would look like or what I'm, I'm totally into that. I love it. And I don't ever, even if people disagree with me, I don't ever feel terrible about the disagreements. And I also never get tired of taking responsibility. Not afraid to do that. You know, what do you, what do you mean by taking responsibility? You know, if I make a mistake, if I make a mistake for something, if I, about something you know I, I um i don't need to be right in the same way and i don't need to pass the buck in the same way i'm ready i'm i'm okay you know even as an artistic director running a whole organization if something something goes wrong i'm happy to be the person to say i yeah that's my fault i, I failed um right um even if i feel terrible about my failure I'm just really, as a director, I'm much better as a leader. I'm much better at accepting failure as a part of the, as a part of the process and not as the end of the process. I love that failure is a part of the process. I'm writing it down. That's how important I thought that was. Oh, great. Thank you. Wow. Failure is a part of the process. Not, not, uh, not the end of a process. Not the end. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I, I kind of I have the same the same uh, kind of philosophy I guess too that failure is not what is that failure is not fatal or whatever that quote is oh yeah sure sure, sure. Um, and I think it's so important in the creative arts because it's like I, to me that's fun that's the fun of it that's the fun of the work especially because I think I think as an actor the best part is the rehearsal process because you're discovering you're connecting with people you're maybe you meet new actors. Um, and you, you get to be in the, the thick of it. And I think that's the fun part. And I think you can't go into that process being like, I know, I know how everything's going to happen. I know how everything's going to work. Like that's not art. You know, I mean, art is like right. getting in, in the thick of it and disagreeing and, and being okay with that. And obviously it depends on the room. And I'm sure you've been in a lot of different rehearsal rooms and there's different vibes on each, you know, with each rehearsal process. Um, with each, you know, depending on who you have in the room, do you have like, um, obviously you, you, um, are involved in casting all these shows. Like, do you look, do you look for particular things in actors when you're auditioning people? Uh, yes. It is also, it's different for different organizations or, or processes, I mean, I have a strict, I have a strict no asshole policy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I, uh, I, I like to find out from people what the people that I love, how they are in rehearsal. 
and how they are in a room. Are they good collaborators? Are they people who only think about themselves? Um, you know, and I ask, I, I ask those questions. I like to engage people in conversation when they come in to audition right. because I want to know, are they, are they, for lack of a better expression, robots? <laughs> <laughs> I used to tell students, you're not a robot. Don't come in and just like, my name is da, 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 da. And I'm going to do a monologue from ba, 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 ba. Um, come in with an open heart and look at, look around the room. And like, if you like the shirt that somebody's wearing, say it. If you like a picture that's on the wall, say it. If you just, you know, be yourself when you come in, because ultimately you're going to spend more time as yourself in the room with the, with your, with the director than you are as the character when you're, when you're there. So like, if you come in the room and you're just like fun, then the director might want to spend time with you for seven hours a day. Like, right. Right. You know, um, and so there, so there is something to be said for, um, for personality, for humanity. When people come in, um, uh, I like to, and 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 what that is for me is also leaving room for catharsis, because in processes now there are people. You know, we I try to do a consent-based practice so that we're talking from the first day about consent and and where where one can be touched and um that kind of thing and so i want to make sure that that the people who are coming in the room not only made theater a hundred years ago in 2019 but have made made theater post 2020 um and are are on board with some of the, the positive changes that have happened in the american theater so there's that. I like to engage in conversation just to find out about that kind of stuff. And then um, I don't care about social media and the number of followers that people have. But if I'm doing an independent theater project or I'm doing something at my theater, excuse me, my small theater in Hoboken, New Jersey, I like to see if you have a social media presence. I want to know, are you... Are you at least posting pictures of your castmates? I don't. I don't need you to promote the show in the same way that we, our job is to promote the show. But I do. I would like to be able to cast people who are who would be talking about doing a show. Hmm. Um, yeah. I don't do a lot of posting on social media either, but I do post about the work that I'm doing, and. Um, for me, it's it's less about promoting the show and more about putting the name of the theater or the name of the play out in the world. So, like, even if you don't post through all through rehearsal and whatnot, that you post it when it closes. I just did this amazing play. This is what it was. It was at Miles Square Theater. You know, like I, I just want to see what your social media presence is like. Um, what else do I look for? I mean, clearly, I look for good actors. But that is also so subjective um, that I am less concerned about making a good play. I think I'm a good, I cast well. Um, so I'm less concerned about, you know, is this play going to be good? And more about, is this play going to mean something to all of us by the end of it? 
Is it going to be a thing that we wish would never end? Is it going to be a thing that, that or is it going to be a thing that we wish had ended after the first day? <laughs> <laughs> is that about, is that about like matching the personalities in the room or, or just matching the, the person to the part? If that makes um, sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's both. It's both. Um, you know, I just directed the play that goes wrong up at Portland stage. And it was really important to us to have people who could not only do the physical comedy, who could do comedy at all, um, but it was also people about people who were game to figure out how to do this play, not off-Broadway or on-Broadway, um, but, you know, using uh, consent and intimacy practices for now and who would be willing and able to have a good time in that room. Like, it's a really funny play. And as we rehearsed, we made each other laugh so much. And it was important to me, you know, I work a lot with people who are, who, or I have worked a lot with people who are um, only about work at all times. There's never a moment where they stop and tell a story. There's never a moment where they're part of a a group thing. Like, there's never a moment. And I think that that feels like the hardest part about work. When you're, when you're not, you're not ever, <laughs> when you're not allowed, you don't allow yourself to have any humor while you're working, to me feels just feels wrong it doesn't feel like a world that i want to be in it's not a world i want to lead i want us to do the work i want us to have a good time while we're doing the work you know and our production of the play that goes wrong is really it's my it's the, my favorite thing that i've directed in a really long time <laughs> i feel like we made something really funny and really good and um and the play that goes wrong is about is about that thing that we all learned when we were learning to make theater, and that is that the show must go on. And somewhere along the line, the show must go on became very toxic, right? So like, right. we're we're missing our we're missing funerals, and we're missing weddings, and we're missing milestones in our children's lives because the show must go on. We're singing while we're sick, and hurting our voices. Like we're doing all of these things that we really just shouldn't do. If you're in any other business. You, you get that time off. Right. You, you, right. It's just, you know, so the play that goes wrong is about that thing that has become toxic in our community. And that is that the play, the show must go on at all costs. Um, but the beauty of the play that goes wrong, the other side of it is about that moment that we realized, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do with my life. This is that, that that conversation between audience and performer that feels like uh, that, that you just get bitten by that bug, by that, by that feeling of, Oh my gosh, I did something that made people laugh. And also, Oh my gosh, I did an entire thing and everything went wrong, but it was still really wonderful. Look at how great it was. And, and I, I, and here we were in 2024 making this play, knowing that, knowing that if somebody got hurt, we would stop. That if somebody got sick, we wouldn't do a show. 
that if somebody had a, a funeral to go to, we wouldn't do a show. We knew all of this going in. We also knew that we were good at our jobs. And so we weren't worried so much about, is the play going to be good? We were just really worried about moment to moment making the play. So I, I feel like, yeah, I'm looking for collaborators who are willing and who are not afraid to be human with other collaborators who are not afraid to be vulnerable. Right. That's that's the T, James. That's the T. I love that. I always tell people that, you know, it's not about being on all the time. Like, I don't know if you know those kind of people in this industry that you know what I mean? They're always performing for other people when it's yeah. and they're not on stage. I'm like, just be a person. Just you know, how are you doing? And yeah. I've always been that kind of person in the industry and I, and I value that in other people too. I think, um, and it, I think it's more accepted now too, I guess, to, to be yourself maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to say, I just want to say that I might be one of those people who's always on. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I think you seem, you seem down to earth and cool to me, but, but, but I think maybe we'll find that... out by the end. No, <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. Okay, definitely. And and please let me know your assessment. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> I love that play too. I, I'm kind of curious, like, what do they do for regional productions? Because that the set was a huge part of the Broadway production. So, like, does regional theater have that set or no? Yeah, like, yeah. We had. I mean, you know, it was designed. Um, um, in our production at Portland Stage, it was designed by the artistic director, who is a scenic designer, Anita mm. Stewart. And we started with a document where she she created an Excel document that just said, "Here are here are the here are the tricks that work with the set," and then we decided which ones we were going to do as as we rehearsed. And then, you know, there were things that we knew that we couldn't do, like at the end of the play, the character of Jonathan enters through that door on the upper level and grabs onto a lighting truss that has come down and then he swings around to the door and that and she said we're not gonna do this <laughs> that's not a thing we're gonna do and i was yeah. like okay that great so but as and then as they were building the set we had regular meetings with the technical director and um the associate technical director about how how they were how they were building things and we were explaining to them this is this is how we think it works we also had this really great movement coordinator who had been a clown who had been a mime and a clown for years who said here's how we can accomplish some of these tricks um and so we yeah i mean the walls fall down and everything so it's some days the walls don't fall <laughs> I mean, it is of... called the play that goes wrong right so there have been a couple of performances where the walls did not fall. <laughs> that was that was sort of, you know, and 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 every time something like that fails, like we have to have a conversation with the actors. Like, wh what wh they ask, well, what do we do if that happens again? Like, what if we, like, how do we? What do we do? What do we do? And I said, okay, here's what we do. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I kind of felt as though with that with this whole process. It was nice because it didn't. I didn't feel like 
I didn't feel like the actors had any problems asking for leadership and asking questions like what, how do, we want this to be safe. So if the wall looks like it's not going to fall, is it, is it going to fall? Like if it falls late, was it ever going to fall late? And, uh, you know, so we had to make a decision about making sure that if it didn't fall when it was supposed to fall, that they were locked in place so that there was no chance of them falling at a different time, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, we did the whole set. We did, we, we did the whole thing. We did the whole thing. And then decided from there what worked and what didn't. And the script tells, it, tells you when you're allowed to improvise some things. And, and because of that, there, were other, there are other things that are improvised in our production that are um, not the same every day. And then there were other there are other moments where, in the improvisation that happened during rehearsal, it has now become that thing every performance. Uh, because of, because the the actors in this production are so professional and so accomplished, and so smart. Like it just really, I I don't have any bad things to say about this process. Of the, uh, the, the actually going back to Maine to see it on Sunday. To, to see the closing performance. Oh, cool! Yeah, is this your? Um, are, are you drawn to a certain type of uh, project to to direct, or is it? Or do you have another process? Uh, yeah, I'm, yes, I'm drawn to them, but I, I, they offered it to me, and I was surprised. I was surprised because I like the play, and it just sort of, you know, I'm a black queer director who does a lot of black queer work black and or queer work like so like to be uh, to be invited to direct the play that goes wrong was like oh wait me me oh okay um had you worked there before as a director oh yeah this is my i think this is my sixth play there oh wow i've worked there every year since 2017 with the exception of 2020 yeah yeah that's awesome I, I love Portland, Maine, but I do have to say I'm from Portland, Oregon. So oh. uh, I don't know if there's beef between <laughs> between the Portlands. I know like Portland, Maine was first, obviously, but yeah, you know, um, I, Portland, I Maine's think, beautiful though. I think there is beef, and the beef is <laughs> when you're in Portland, Maine, and you sometimes Google doesn't know you're in Portland, Maine. So like it gives you search results from Portland, Oregon. Right. So so I mean I think the beef is between Google and Google. the people of Portland, Maine. Oh, I heard a story where a woman thought she was got on a plane and thought she was going to Oregon and she <laughs> and she went to Portland, Maine. She had no idea until she got there. <laughs> That's probably a Google. I'm going to blame Google for that one too. Let's blame Google. Why not? Why yeah. Not? Google, we're going to get you. We're going to get you in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This is the truth-telling, the Google truth-telling podcast. Yeah. Google's not (laughs) going to rank this episode now because any any talking smack about Google, I'm sure, it's delisted. It's not going to work. Um, So what brought you to Mile Square Theater? Yeah. Um, In 2019, I directed a production of pipeline there um, and had a lovely experience doing that. And they invited me back to 
to direct in 2020 i directed a film version of the radio play of it's a wonderful life wonderful life not wife it's a wonderful life that's a that's a sequel yeah that's the sequel right there yeah that's it um and um uh i so during the pandemic for about a year and a half actually starting in june of right after george floyd was murdered i started hosting or not hosting producing um, an online variety show called The Reparation Show. And it was an online variety show. Uh, then there was a, a different host every week, um, unified by the same kind of graphics that we had every week. And then I would do a segment called This Week in Reparations. And in my little segment, I thanked the host for being on the show. And then I talked about anything, whatever. It didn't matter. But on one episode in late 20, gosh, late 2020 or early 2021, I had um, the founder of Mile Square Theater on the show, Chris O'Connor, and asked him about a number of things. And he mentioned in our in, in our conversation that um, they now had a succession plan because he was planning to step down and they thought that it would be time for the organization to be led by a person of color. And he'd sort of made a joke like, you know, maybe hint, hint, but somebody I know might want to apply for that job. <laughs> and then um, when they posted the job, he texted me and said, we posted this job. I don't know if you're interested in applying. So I did apply and then I got the job. So that's what brought me there. I, you know, we're it's uh, you know we're a small outfit, and I want us to be focusing on new and gently used plays. <laughs> um, um, and I want us to I want um, playwrights to feel like we're um, a place for them to try out new stuff um and we're right across the river we're right in Hoboken, right. which is right. so close to the city and you know we don't focus on bringing people from the city to see the shows but we do because we don't think that, that we, we don't think that a lot of people are doing that excuse me one second what's up oh okay that's fine just close the door thank you um that's my husband he's going to be making a smoothie and he was afraid mm. he was going to be a bad thing. Uh, and you, you can hear the blender now. Is it a Sorry. Vitamix or no? I'm just kidding. It, it, it actually it's a the Nutribullet, but it's the big the blender. Right. So he's making a smoothie because he's good. trying to make me feel guilty for not being on a diet right now. <laughs> it's a it's a guilt smoothie. It's a guilt smoothie because, you know, I've given up, basically given up being an actor, but I'm still, I still think the world revolves around me. So, <laughs> so of course, why would he make a smoothie for his own nutrition? Right. It, it has to be for me. It has to be about me. <laughs> Thank you for letting me walk down this little path while he's blending. Um, and I'll go back to my Miles Square story in a second. Unless you're broadcasting this live to the to the world right now, this is going live. This is in Times Square right now. Um, 
Yeah, this is right. This is on the Lion King, you know, the facade. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Good, I have good connections. For me. Good for you. Good for us. <laughs> good for us. <laughs> You're so dry. It's so funny. Um, okay, so... Um, so at Miles Square Theater, I want us to be focusing on new and gently used plays. Oh, and there it goes again. It's it's really not. I can't hear it that well. No, you least. can't. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. Okay, so so like I I'm really focused on the new plays and the gently used plays, and we're not begging people from Manhattan to come see our shows, but we are telling playwrights, hey, here's a place for you for you to submit your new work. Mm. Um, because we're a regional theater and we're seven minutes from Manhattan. So if you write a play and we produce it and you think that it's ready for a commercial production, we are, we are happy to, to offer industry comps to all the people you'd like to come out to see the play. Um, cause it just puts us more on the map when you do that. And, um, so, yeah, and that's, it's it's right there. I mean, it's, it's it's an easy sell as far as a regional theater goes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. It's not like anybody has to get on a plane, right, um, to come see a show at the theater. Um, but I think we're, you know, I think we've made some courageous decisions since I've been there, and we are in the process of making some more courageous decisions about programming and presenting work there. Um, is there a certain type of work that the theater, I mean, that if, if you're a playwright listening, like, is there a certain type of play you guys look for or just a good play or? Yeah, we look for small cast plays, unfortunately. Um, Which is less, how, how big for? Uh, less than five. Less than five. Okay. Less than five people, five people. So right. they, they can be playing, you know, a million characters, but um, we want fewer than five actors in the plays for now um our contract is the uh, actors equity special appearance contract which means we get three equity contracts per production so that also often includes our resident stage manager so you know um yeah so there's that and then um we're uh, right now i want comedies I want I mean I don't mind if those comedies are also about the world but but I love a good comedy uh, we did the world premiere of a hip-hop musical called quarter Rican in March of 2023 hmm. and it was a really it was a huge success for us um, it brought in lots of new audience members and was really exciting because it was hip hop. You know, there was a, a beatboxer on stage who created all of the the sounds. Oh wow! On stage, it was just really very exciting, and um, so we're actively looking for work that will appeal to that audience for next season. Um, we think we're going at this point. We think we're going to be producing a world premiere musical, a uh, very small cast musical, which will be the first time I think this organization has produced a musical musical. Well, Puerto Rican was the first musical musical that we right. produced, I think. Um, and 
yeah, uh, a play that is able to... So our mandate is for our creative teams to be half of color. I like to say half of a marginalized community. And we like to be able to cast our plays in the same way. Um, so if you have something to send me that is like that, and it's funny that we can cast with anybody, um, that would be great. Uh, what else? I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm easy to find. My, my email address on the website of our theater is the, is our email address is my email address. Right. So you can reach out to me and say, Hey, I have this play. Um, here are the first 10 pages. Um, and just send it to me and then I'll read it when I get to it. I'm reading so many things. It's hard to get to everything, but I'll read it <laughs> when I get to it and get back to you when I can. Um, I don't know. Have I answered that question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I never know what I'm going to love. I never know what I'm going to love and what I'm going to want. But, um, you know, next season we're trying to, to choose things that have, that are kind of recognizable intellectual properties hmm. so that we can sell more tickets so that the following right. season, I feel like, you know, we'll do like a season of like more obscure titles and then a, a, a another season that has something that, that seems a little more recognizable or has like a crazy, a crazy title that will hook people in, you know? Um, and next season we're looking for more recognizable intellectual properties. How many shows do you guys produce a year there? Four shows and two benefits. Mm. And next year we will also be producing or presenting uh, we think some monthly programs. So, um, well, I can't really talk about it actually because <laughs> no contracts have been signed. But there are there are New Jersey artists who have their own work that we'd like for the, you know improv shows and magic shows and those sorts of things, just to present them in our space. Right. Um, so we're. we're so we're looking for more opportunities like that. At, at this point, we're, we'd like to also in December have a Diwali Diwali festival, um, because we we want to make sure that we're inviting the South Asian community of of Hudson County into our space. Um, yeah, all of those things. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of cool that you. It sounds like it's kind of flexible. Like one year you guys do more obscure stuff. One, you know, like, are you looking to have a more set season? Kind of like, you know, how certain, you know, theaters have like certain slots that they have. Yes. Like, oh, we have a musical. We have this. We have. Yes. So our slots are, our slots are something in the fall, something for Christmas, something in the winter, like March. Like right now, we have a play that we're producing right now that opens in a couple weeks. And then. Um, and then another thing in the spring and one thing is normally a children's play uh, that we can you know try to book with school groups um, and uh, this year our children's play may also be our holiday play at the same time um, so that 
we're combining those things together and in, increasing the length of the run of the of the play um, so that we can then in the evenings present some of some like a monthly show or you know a solo play festival of some sort just to just to have a lot of life in the space right that's awesome um you know so my audience that i'm trying to build on this podcast is mostly actors obviously and um mm. i'm just curious you know as uh, someone who's been on both sides of the table do you have advice for especially for you know early career actors or people that are thinking of moving to the city or um maybe your past self you know i mean do you have any advice that you would give to someone yes i do the advice is the advice is be become a member of a community or two or three or four like don't uh, or at least be a part of a, of several communities you know like if you know of a theater I mean, Miles Square Theater is the kind of place where you could just decide to come see a ticket and come see the show. And we're such a small organization that, that we're accessible, that you can reach out to us and ask us questions, and you can come to events and, and meet us. And there are other organizations that are like that. It's not the same with, like, the Broadway community, and it's not the same with the, the off-Broadway community. I don't know where to go for them to just sort of meet people. I don't know. But there are lots of independent theater um, outfits in Manhattan. And what I did was I just sort of knew everybody. I just sort of, I, this show looks interesting. I'm going to go to the show. And back when the New York International Fringe Festival was a thing, I was there all the time. Right. And they, they always had a lounge where you could hang out. And it just sort of created real... A, a, created community among artists and so I would say become a part of a community or put your face in the place as often as possible mm. um, when I was the artistic director of the fire this time festival which is a platform for early career playwrights playwrights would reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time and say hey I want to write for the fire this time festival and I would say have you ever seen any of our shows? And they would say, no. And I would say, okay, well, the first thing you need to do is to come to a show, <laughs> come to the festival and see what we do and then find me and say hello. Um, it, it, I think what the mistake that we all make, and I made it, was thinking that I was going to get off the bus from North Carolina and just make a splash and just believed that that was what because I was that talented and that people were just going to see me and they, you know, I'm drinking a malted in the, in a soda shop and all of a sudden I'm a star. And what, what year was this with the malted? <laughs> in the 1950s? I, 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 a... I'm, I'm Rita Hayworth. Um, <laughs> isn't that how she was discovered? <laughs> but I, you know, I think, but that's the thing though, is that we, we all believe that we're, that, that we're just going to make a splash. It's just going to happen. And, and I wish that for everyone. I want that to be your story. I would love for you to, to take Broadway by storm. 
I would love that. It is not the way it happens all the time, but I love my career. I've had a wonderful career. I'm not done yet. I really, really love it. But I have had to work very hard to get what I get. And so what I would say to young actors is put yourself out there all the time. Do it. Go see shows. See the shows. Go to places where the tickets are, are less expensive. And then find out and then reach out to every to every artistic director that you can and just say, hey, I'm around. How, how do I get to audition for you or what or um, anything? And then and then recognize when somebody offers you an opportunity that does not pay, that pays you nothing. Recognize that. Um, Really think about it <laughs> before you just say absolutely not. Because the, things have changed. Everybody wants to be paid. Everybody wants to be paid these days, but things haven't changed enough for theaters to be able to offer pay. <laughs> right, right. And so the – and I'm not telling you to work for free all the time. I'm not saying that at all. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is – if a person hears about you or knows about you and offers you a gig that's like for five days and it pays you nothing, but maybe it pays food, um, think about – Google it. Google the person who offered it. See if there's somebody that you know who knows them so that they know that – so that you know that they're not the kind of people who are going to suck your blood and leave you for dead, right? Recognize that – you are putting you're putting savings in a bank and there could be a time when you could take those savings out and use them at another time and also or that and I know from for me I often ask people to do things because I believe in their talent and recognize and hope and pray that there is another time that I can work with them and give them some money when we work together right. more than the last time we worked together. I know that that's the thing that I want to do. I also don't have any hard feelings for people who are, who don't want to work for free at all because I am one of those people who doesn't necessarily want to work for free, but I am doing this podcast and you were not paying me to do this podcast because I thought it was important to put my name out there in a way that makes sense. I chose an hour that I was free and I said yes to that. So I think that the the what we're not teaching our young people is that we we're it's how to invest in a career. And and I you know, I asked you how you knew me and you're like, "Well, you keep coming up." <laughs> like <laughs> That, and, and I think I keep coming out because I'm always putting myself out there somehow. Right. And, you know, I'm mid fifties and have been, I'm, you know, I've been around for a long time in the circles of the tri-state area trying to make a career. Um, and I think that the, uh, I think that people who don't know me, who look at me and see me working, don't know the number of emails that I sent out don't know the number of times I spoke to my manager today to find out like is there what can we do about this offer that we received or should I reach out to this publisher or that publisher to see if I can audition for anything that's coming up you know you know like 
I'm still in the trenches trying to make a career. Right. And it doesn't happen if you don't make it happen. And so, um, so I, you know, I just say that to say, before you fight the, before you fight the oppressor, know who the oppressor is. <laughs> Which is a whole other, it's a whole, <laughs> a whole other thing is that, you know, I, I don't see myself as the oppressor if I ask you to do a show that I'm doing also. Right. <laughs> and I'm not getting anything, you know? Anyway, right. I think, all. yeah, I love that. Um, what I tell people is that, I mean, there's, I, I, I thought the same thing. I thought I'm going to get an agent and my agent's going to make my career and that's how it's going to work. I'm like, but now I realize you have to, you're, you're your own agent always. Even if yeah. you have an agent and manager, you are your agent for the for your life. I mean, like yeah. you said, you know, you're doing stuff behind the scenes. You're pitching yourself. You're sending emails. You're getting involved. You're going to shows. You're you're understanding people. You're you're meeting people. You're just being a person with other people. I mean, that's how it works. Like people want to work with people that they know, like and trust, and. Oh. And it takes time to develop those relationships. It's not like you, like you said, you don't just get off the bus and, and suddenly you have a career. Like I, like I, I hope that happens too, but for most people, and it's more rewarding though, to, to, to be in the trenches and to, you know, I, I think, yeah. uh, people discount the hard work of it, but it's like, it's also the, the enjoyable work. I mean, the, to me, it's like theater's always been about connection with other people. I mean, you're connecting on stage with another actor. You're connecting with the, with the audience. The audience is connecting with you. It's this exchange of energy that you don't find in any other medium, in my experience. No. And that's no. what makes theater, have, you know, that's lasted for millennia. That's why it's it's an old art form. It's not like film and TV where it's a newer art form. It's like there's a reason that it's existed for so long. Yeah. And I think it's it's hard it's it's like you said you know you're in the trenches and you're trying to make your career work and it's and i'm the same way i mean it's it's uh it's a daily task of figuring out what's next and what's on the horizon and 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 find finding the balance between the artistic side and the business side you know yeah is there any where do you find yourself as far as um like balancing the business of acting with like the art of it like obviously you have a lot of roles in that um with what everything you do but like you have an agent and a manager and and yeah uh, I, I i have a manager and i have a commercial agent but everything goes through my manager right and we're now looking for an agent for my directing um so i mean that's where i find myself <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He 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 still submits me for acting jobs, um, and I, if it's theater and it's out of town, I almost always say no to that, <clears throat> to those appointments, because it's 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 harder to focus on running Mile Square Theater as an actor than it is as a director when I'm out of town. So. Um, so when you say where do I find myself there, I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's where I am. I mean, at yeah. the uh, uh, with audiobooks 
and audio projects in general, they, they just come to me and then I always add my manager to it. Right. I get a lot, a lot, a lot of hits on my website and, um, and so, um, and even there, like somebody offered me something recently to, to play a part in a, in a, an audio drama. And I said, no, because, but it, but it wasn't because of the salary that they were offering. It was because the salary was, was not correct. And it was also because I spend as much time on the things that pay less as I do with the things that pay more. Right. So, so if I were to spend an entire day recording this thing that they wanted me to record, it, it, it it's more than a day. Cause I'd have to, pre- I have to read it in preparation and then I have to record it. And then invariably they'll, they'll say, Hey, you mispronounced this word or this, the tone wasn't quite right on this. Can you do this again? And, and, and there's not anything, they're not giving me anything more for my time. And so, uh, so, but, but saying no to that was hard hmm. <laughs> because I'm still an actor. I'm still like, Oh, you asked me to do something. Of course I want to do it. <laughs> I really want to, you know, like, please. Oh, you love me. Oh, that's great. I really want to do it. But I, so, you know, I talked to my manager and he was like, don't do it. <laughs> you can't do it. You need to make room for the things that you know that you can do and that people will, people will pay you to do. Um, and that's mostly because my voice is a thing. It's the thing that people pay me the most for. Hmm. So, so I have to really kind of those, I have to be more choosy about that kind of stuff. How did you get involved? So, um, what what kind of voiceover stuff do you do mostly? Oh, only audiobooks and hmm. audio drama. I don't do voiceovers. Okay. Um, I wish I did voiceovers because they pay so well. Yeah. <laughs> um, the difference between the two is that with a voiceover is you spend like a half hour in a studio uh, for a radio spot or a or a a, a, a television commercial or something um, and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and for audiobooks, audiobooks are like the theater of the voiceover world. You work really hard on them right. and you do get paid well, um, but you don't get residuals and you do a lot more work. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Instead of saying one line for 15, a 15 second commercial and getting paid the same as an audiobook, you do an yes. entire audiobook. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. So that, so, you know, and, and, um, I do audio dramas too. Uh, I'm the voice of Kevin on, uh, welcome to night Vale, And I am right now I have a, there's an audio drama out called ask your father that I play a role. I play artificial intelligence in that. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I'm, in the voiceover world, the commercial voiceover world, you're not necessarily an actor. You're you're just a voice, right? You know, with a personality, with the personality that a producer is looking for. 
And so with the work that I do as a, as with my voice, uh, it's still acting. I still have to prepare and I still have to figure all of that out. So it, um, it scratches the acting itch for me and it's, is is plenty. <laughs> and I don't have to leave home. <laughs> is there any, do you have any tips on getting into that kind of work? Because, um, obviously a lot of actors during the pandemic kind of, uh, you know, were more interested in it because that's the only kind of work that was sort of available for a while. Yeah. Um, the advice I can give is there or, are, so the, Amazon has a self-publishing arm called ACX. So if you go to acx.com and create a profile there, they'll, they'll also show you exactly how to build your own studio at home. But if you record samples of your voice and upload them there, then you can also submit yourself for work. And when you want to do an audiobook demo, it's basically um, you need to do like three-minute samples. Hold on one second. Do you need me? Oh, okay. Um, Three-minute samples from, you know, books that you like. And right. you upload those. There are people, if you, if, if, if you are a member of that very old platform, Facebook, there are a couple of groups where you can join. And they'll, they'll also help you do, put up a together studio, that kind of thing. Um, as for how to get a job, gosh, ACX is like the, the self-publishing thing is really the, the easiest way. They do, and they'll pay you two different ways. There's a royalty share or they'll pay you an hourly. And I would say for your first book, do a royalty share so that you can get an idea. It pays for you not going to get a lot of money you are definitely going to get the experience and you will be able to say to yourself, oh, this is an experience that I like. This is an experience that I want to do. This is the experience. Because the, the experience of doing audiobooks is not fun in games. It is often you're sitting in a studio like this little room that I'm in right now for four to five hours. Um, right. And those are, those are short days. That's a short day. Um, and... So I would say do royalty share and see if you like that. And then once you've done the royalty share, then you have a sample of a book that you've already recorded. You can use that as your as one of your demos. Like, and you slowly replace the little demos that you made on your own in, in your closet or whatnot. Um, and then you just build from there. But I will say also that, again, have a healthy relationship with failure. Because... You know, we don't ever get the thing that we got on the first try, the thing that we're doing on the first try. It's never, that's just not how it works. So you might be, a friend of mine just started doing audiobooks and I had been referring her to people who had employed me for 15 years. And during the pandemic, she finally got in and now is, uh, you know, uh, not a full-time narrator, but she supplements her income pretty well with it. So, uh, 15 years, <laughs> 15 years I had been trying to get her in. Wow. So, you know, it's, it is, um, it is definitely worth a shot. 
It's, it's a long game, though, for sure. But it, is, but it is a long game, just like a career. Every career right. is a long game. Sometimes I think about, you know, there's so many, like, everyone's about the side hustle now, um, necessarily, for most people. I mean, my thing is even Ryan Reynolds has companies. Like, he's not just acting. Like, at, at all levels of the industry, people have multiple things that they do, and that's that's yeah. the norm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it can all feel like a hustle. You know, like you're auditioning for audiobooks, you're auditioning for um, regular, you know, theater or film or TV or whatever. And I've found that I need something not stable, but that I need something that I can hang my hat on, that I have more control over. Um, And I found that through writing. Like I've recently kind of what you said about. when you decided to say you're a director, like when you kind of owned that identity, I guess that that was a part of you. That's kind of uh, what I've recently found. And I I know you're a writer as well, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, such as it is. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I'm kind of, I I try and tell people too to just, and I, and I got this advice from another actor a long time ago, but, he said, you know, have something outside the industry that, that is of interest to you. And maybe it's a relationship that's, that's a foundation for you or your family or a hobby or an interest or something like, like you said, don't just be all about the work, like be a person and enrich yourself as a person, Yeah, you know, cause it all, it all feeds into it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, do you, in your offstage life, I'm curious what your interests or hobbies, uh, might be. Yeah, um, I don't. So, before I started doing audiobooks, I was an avid reader. Okay. So when I became an audiobook narrator, and the, and the the work started to to pop off, I stopped reading for pleasure because every time I picked up a book for pleasure, I, I, I had to put it down because I had to prep an audiobook. So, and I just sort of, and I sort of just really hoped and prayed that I would start doing books that were even that were more interesting to me. And I'm finally at that place where all of the reading that I do for audiobooks is super interesting to me. So that part is great. So that said, when I read for pleasure, I read articles about theater and no lie recipes. I love reading recipes. I love especially the best recipes that I'm, that I'm never going to be able to tackle at home. Really? <laughs> so, I, like, I'm a, I'm a cook, and I love to cook, and it's one of my favorite things. I actually just started a project, a cooking project that... <laughs> that So, Bon Appetit released um, their 56... They were, like, 56... Either their favorite recipes of 2023. Hold on, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look for it right now. It's... Um, Ah, it's uh, every recipe from the Bon Appetit 56 is is what the link is. So the Bon Appetit 56, I have no idea why it's called the Bon Appetit 56, but um, I have, and that's basically a recipe per week for a year. Right. And so I just decided that I was going to start doing that, doing this list of recipes. Like once one a week kind of thing or? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Um, you know, there's some of them I'll do, but won't eat. Like there's the, there's like a, 
like I sh- things that I shouldn't have, like the giant panna cotta. <laughs> and, and as I look at as I look at the, this list, I think, oh, I've I've done this. I mean, I probably won't make the lamb kima tacos. I'll make them, but I won't make them with lamb. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, I could. I like lamb. Anyhow, Ooh. tater tot <laughs> tortilla española. Which one? Tater tot tortilla española. I mean, come on, right? That sounds amazing, actually. Right. Right. <laughs> so, like, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of these recipes and I love so I love to cook and that is it really kind of sustains me it feels kind of both creative and also a challenge and not a thing that makes me if I fail it doesn't make me feel like I'm a terrible person (laughs) 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 Um, I mean in general I'm I'm good with failure but but I'm not I love food, so I feel like if I know what I put into it, I know that I'm not going to hate it, even if I would never serve it to anybody else. Right. So so when I cook anything, it still feels like I accomplished something because I get to nourish myself. Yeah, I mean, you have to eat, so... It's a good. That's, right. that's a good interest to have. I wish I had. I wish I shared that interest. <laughs> because that's that's one of the things I wish I would have learned like earlier, like how to cook at least like basic dishes. I mean, it's Dude, hard. Wait, wait, are you? You're in your thirties, right? <laughs> yeah, that's I when cook- I started cooking. Really? Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was. I okay. You, you really listen. People like to talk a lot of shit about Rachel Ray, but. <laughs> I was on an airplane. I was on a JetBlue flight when I was like 32, 33 years old. And her show, 30 Minute Meals, came on. And I was watching. And I was like, who is this cuckoo? On the plane? On, an, on the plane. And I was just watching her cook. And I found myself really loving watching her cook and loving hearing her talking about cooking. And the fact that she wasn't a chef was really interesting to me. And then... I mean, the next thing I knew, I bought like a, some pans that were branded with her name and her 30 minute meal cookbooks. And I started um, cooking her simple 30 minute meals for myself and watching her as I cooked. And so that became that's how I learned how to cook. Um, the older I get, the you know, the, the more I want to try some complicated things. Um, and because I'm me, I don't have. Like the only go-to meals that I have are eggs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a good Boiled egg. Or Can't argue with a good egg, you know. <laughs> and oh, and avocado toast. Those are like go-to things for me. Yeah. But generally speaking, I'm I like to try new things when I'm cooking, and and I, like I make things like, oh, this is really great. I'm gonna make this again. Do you <laughs> like? I, do you meal prep or do you like daily cook? Um daily cook most of the time the, the okay. when I go out of town to do a show like when I was in Portland doing the play that goes wrong the first two weeks I knew what I was going to be cooking while I was there because I knew I was knew I was going to be extra busy so I did meal prep um, at the beginning of each week to be ready to cook the stuff um but that's not necessarily, that's not always my, the prep sometimes is, is a part of the unwinding of the day. Right. Grabbing the onions and the garlic and 
chopping that up and getting it ready to to cook is often just part of getting it ready. Um, and often when I'm cooking, I read the recipe like 10 times before I even begin. Really? That's, <laughs> it's, it's that's obsessive. so funny. Yeah, that is but a little I'll, obsessive. I'll read it like 10 <laughs> times before I begin cooking because I'm thinking about like, what can I, how can I, it's funny. My husband always makes fun of me. He's like, are you following the recipe? Or are you wildcatting? Like, what are you, what are you, you know, but I'm like, wildcatting. <laughs> And sometimes I'm sometimes I'm following the recipe, but other times I think you know I can cook the chicken. That that so like yesterday I did the first meal that I that I was going to try, and it's called the halal cart chicken salad. And so it the chicken is supposed to be a rotisserie chicken, and there are pita chips on the salad, and it's supposed to be like you know bagged pita chips. But I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna bake my own pita chips i'm gonna figure that out <laughs> so i got pita bread and i cut it up and i made pita chips and they're it's really good they're really good chips and then for the chicken i didn't have a rotisserie chicken because i have chicken breasts in the chicken in the in the freezer so i thought it and i cooked the chicken but i was thinking like what can i do in advance before i'm cooking before i eat so i can get this done so um and that's often why I will read the recipe like ten times, is because I, I need to think. Of, I want to think about like w- managing my time. How am I going to do this? And then what am I going? So I'll I'll chop this first, you know. And I know myself well enough to know that I I'm not like the fa- I don't chop like fast like the people on TV. So I know that it all has to be prepped before I put anything in the pan. So I'm not going to, like, chop as I go. Like, you watch those people chopping and throwing them in the pan and chopping and throwing Like, I, I, it makes me too nervous. The, the, Is it mise en place or where, where you, yes. like, get everything ready yeah. to, at the beginning? That's exactly yeah. it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I do that. Um, I do that first. I've, Isn't I it like, stressful, uh, though, to get, like, to make dishes and then to be like, I have to, ma- I have to clean these dishes? And that's yeah. the part that gets me, I guess. Um, I was raised washing dishes by hand. We had a dishwasher my whole life, and my father was like, "You never you were washing it? dishes. Never. We never used it. He, it was his way of. It was his way of, um, I guess, teaching us discipline. And he was like, you know, what if you get a job as a dishwasher somewhere? I was like, I'm not going to get a job as a dishwasher. I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'm not that's gonna it. Do that. One of my one of my first jobs was as a dishwasher at my college. So maybe uh-huh. that's why. See? And now I don't have one being in New York, like a lot of, not a lot of people have them. So, yeah, no, I love washing dishes. I actually, I hated it when I was a kid, but I really love washing dishes now. Um, so, you know, my husband is really good when he cooks. He's really good at washing things as he goes. Right. And I'm good at first. And then after a while, I'm like, eh, I'll just, I'll tackle it later. Um, <laughs> and what I think I love most of all is like doing something, a one pot meal or like a one sheet pan meal so that there's, so that when the, when the pot is finally on the stove and it's cooking for like the next 45 minutes, I can spend that time drinking wine and washing dishes. Um, so liners have changed my life because I have this, um, 
<laughs> liners for like an air fryer. So I just yes. put there's like a parchment paper liner. Yes. <laughs> and and I love that. And then I have a liner for the um, what is it the the slow cooker. Um, oh yeah, which for is great. Instant pot or the uh, just yeah. a just a plain old slow cooker. Yeah. 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 It works. It works. So, it helps. I'm, I'm so I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Liners. <laughs> <laughs> Last week I made this really good um, lentil soup with sausage and spinach in my instant pot. It was as I used. I don't use the instant pot for like pressure cooking or anything like that. I just use it for as a slow cooker, right? All the time. And um, this soup was ridiculous. Um, I mean, it was so good. I can't even. I can't. I, was it from the Bon Appetit 56 or was it It was not. It okay. was not, but I think it was a Bon Appetit recipe. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. No, actually, it's a New York Times cooking uh, oh, recipe. Oh, I love the New York Times. There's, I found a coconut curry recipe that's like – or a coconut um, chickpea curry recipe that's, that I've made many times, and it's super yes. good. Yes. So um, – those the emails that they send every day i read the, i read those emails <laughs> read the emails from i read them <laughs> i mean <laughs> i read them i read them and i click the links on them um today's recipe of the day is a lasagna soup Ooh. which seems it's like a deconstructed lasagna which seems super interesting yeah um there's also in the same email, a miso mushroom barley soup, which we were both, which my husband and I were just looking at, thinking, mm. hey, let's make that. Miso is amazing. <sighs> Food is amazing, James. Food is amazing. <laughs> I love the detour that we've taken. This is amazing. It's, I mean, I feel but like I'm most passionate about things that I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pressure. I'm more, exactly. most passionate about cooking meals um, and but less passionate been... about my work work. But it does have to do with acting because, like, maybe, you know, what I, <laughs> I've lived in some not great apartments and, like, having to figure out how to cook is, like, you know, you want to, especially if you're an early career actor, you probably want to save money and yeah, cooking's the way to do that, you know? Yeah. And uh, I wish I was a better example of that, but uh, we all got to eat, right? So. Yeah, you're a work in progress. It seems like you cook enough. You make this the, the, the chickpea curry. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, because you know what? I wonder why. Because it's all—it's like mostly from canned ingredients. It's canned pumpkin, canned uh, chickpeas, canned. Yeah. Um, so it's like easy to have as a pantry. You can have basically all of it as a pantry, but it still tastes really fresh together. Yeah, that's yes. what I love. Yes. But the one—the one pot stuff—I'm totally down with. Like that's amazing. And and I think you should continue down that down that road. Yeah. Don't I be will. afraid of it. Allow that to happen. <laughs> Maybe yeah it's okay, it's good, it's good. That's amazing. Um, although I have to say my pita chips today, really good. Yeah, I made, I made another batch because I ate them all. You make them fresh? How do you make fresh? Pita? Well, you take it. You know, if you get just to get pita bread at the grocery store, right? And if you have kitchen shears, oh. You cut like because they're pockets basically. You know, you can open the pita and you can right. So you cut them around the edge, so you basically have two round pieces of pita. So I did that with 
with two of the pita pockets, and then um, I put olive oil on. I like made sure that they were covered with olive oil, then uh, seaweed salt, and I used the atar seasoning on them. Um, so, so make sure that they're covered both sides with olive oil, and then you put the salt on there, and then you cut them into little triangles, spread them out evenly on a pan, but you cannot use parchment paper. Why not? I know. I'm so I sorry. I told to you say about this. my liners. I know. I'm so sorry that I had to tell you this. Foil? Aluminum foil? No. What? No. I mean, I, maybe foil will, would be fine. Okay. Maybe foil would be fine, actually, because it's another metal surface. But put it so if you use aluminum foil, make sure it's super flat on the thing. And I would also say it might be a good idea to heat the pan with the olive oil first, or not the olive oil. Heat heat the pan with the with the aluminum foil first. Right. Out of the oven. And then put the pita chips all in one layer on the pan. Just because of the two layers of the, the, the aluminum foil, that the heat has to go through the pan and the aluminum foil. So you want them to be directly onto a metal surface. Right. And I think it would take too long to get the aluminum foil hot enough to make the chips as crisp as you Crispy. need them to be. Right. So, like you, so you put to so the... I just in 425 in the oven for seven minutes. Take them out. It doesn't matter whether you think that they're crispy enough or not. Seven minutes is all they can bear. Do it. Because <laughs> yesterday I did 10 minutes and they were a little too dark. <laughs> Anyhow, pull them out of the oven and just leave them on the pan. Let them cool on the pan and they get nice and crispy. Put them in Tupperware. Eat the shit out of them. Chef Kevin. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You had no idea. You had no idea. I had no idea. Rachel, Rachel Ray, man. I got it. I know. I didn't know she wasn't a chef. I thought she was. So her thing is like, she's not a trained chef or something. Yeah. She's just a home cook. She just likes to cook. I love that. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's not a chef. I mean, I don't know. After a while, I I found I I I. She fell out of favor with me. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I am super grateful that I saw her on that JetBlue flight, and thought, "Oh, I can do this! I can do this! I'm going to do this!" and started cooking. You know. I love that. Maybe this is my origin story for cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, how dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin R. Free, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, is there any place to connect with you that you prefer? Um, you can go to my website, www.kevinrfree.com. If you want to audition at Mile Square Theater for anything, go to my email address there is krfree at mile m-i-l-e square s-q-u-a-r-e theater theater t-h-e-a-t-r-e dot org krfree mile square theater 
that all of that <laughs> all that perfect <laughs> nailed it that's amazing nailed it i mean I, you know i think if you google me you can find me and yeah. and um i'm i'm happy to respond i'm happy to for you to reach out and um get in touch awesome well thanks so much um i learned a lot and i had a good time uh chatting so uh great i hope you did as well and Same. Uh, i did i did awesome all right Alrighty. I will talk to you.